Welcome to something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooed it. She pooed it. What a rib. No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. You, Bruce. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? I am absolutely wonderful. Not a whole lot new going on. Just same old, same old. Well, it was not business as usual last week. We had a blockbuster episode here on Something to Wrestle, all about Jerry the King Lawler. What was your feedback, dude? mostly positive and it's crazy as many downloads as we got and as many people that tuned in special for this one I, most of it was pretty damn positive just talking about their memories of the king and a lot of folks from the memphis area and jerry lawler was the messiah in so many ways of their childhood just every single way he was on tv every saturday in that memphis market so uh king is the king well, and we are excited to be covering a brand new topic today. One that we have teased and talked about, talked around, and it's finally here. The biggest star of them all, Stone Cold Steve Austin. In the hottest years, maybe in the history of the business. We're going to cover him starting in 1997. See how far we can get. Uh, but first, we need to tell everybody about our friends over at Lightstream. Uh, Lightstream is a company I am very, very familiar with. I actually used these guys to buy a car a long time ago. I got to negotiate like a car, like a cash buyer. It was awesome. I uh, couldn't have had a better experience. And now I'm here to tell you about how they can help you save some money. See the average interest rate on a credit card. It's over 18% APR. Have you looked at your interest rate lately? Refinance your high interest credit card balances and save with a credit card consolidation loan from Lightstream. Get a rate as low as 6.14% APR with auto pay. The rate's fixed, it'll never go up, and you can get a loan starting at just $5,000, all the way up to $100,000, and there's no fees, and you can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. When you have good credit, you deserve great service and a low interest rate. A fixed rate loan from Lightstream will do you right. That's lending uncomplicated. You want to save even more? Well, now our listeners get an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash wrestle. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash wrestle. Now subject to credit approval, but the rate includes a half percent auto pay discount. Of course, terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. But what are you waiting for? Go right now. Visit lightstream.com slash wrestle for more information. And there's a ton of information out there right now about how you can come see Bruce and I starting tomorrow night in Crown Point, Indiana on Saturday night. That is going to be a fun show. We, we haven't done a lot of shows that are 
uh, joint with an actual wrestling card, but Black Label Pro is putting on one heck of a card with one of your favorite performers, Bruce, when you were out amongst the living. Filthy Tom Lawler is going to be on the card. A whole lot of other superstars you got to see, including your old friend, uh, Swoggle. So why not come out and see us and see some wrestling? It's uh, a lot of entertainment for one low price. Tickets are on sale now at BrucePritchard.com. And then right before the pay-per-view in Cleveland, I can't believe we're still able to do this. Uh, we're going to be doing something to wrestle live right there in Cleveland. And then next weekend, uh, Bruce and, uh, well, everybody's going to be on the road. Bruce will be in Australia in two weeks, which is hard to believe. And that same weekend, the 22nd, the 23rd, that whole deal. Well, Tony and Eric are going to be in Chicago for C2E2. You can find that information on their Twitter at E Bischoff is a good place to go. But then we're getting the band back together, Bruce. Uh, and, and I'm really thankful that we're able to finish out this last little run of live shows. WrestleMania weekend. Uh, you can come see Bruce and I on Saturday in New York City. And then the Monday after WrestleMania, the hottest Raw of the year, we're doing a fun joint show with Jim Ross. So why wouldn't you go ahead and check out the tickets right now at BrucePritchard.com? Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun, is it not, Bruce? Absolutely cannot wait. Uh, Australia, first time ever for me to come to that country and that's march 22nd sydney march 23rd melbourne and the 24th in brisbane so i'm really looking forward to that i'll be with all my friends that means i'll be by myself (laughs) solo so that's gonna be a blast and uh coming home to new york that's gonna be a good time at the gramercy right before wrestlemania as well and then seeing jr afterwards got a busy got a busy busy month ahead of us Well, let's get busy talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, hell yeah. Coming into 1997, Steve Austin is red hot. He's in the middle of the biggest push of his career. Uh, He's on the heels of Survivor Series 1996, where he was involved in a match with Bret Hart, which is probably the co-main event. Even though he's technically a heel, he's becoming one of the more popular guys in the company. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today, how organically he became... A baby face. You know, it was a mistake. I don't want to say it was a mistake, but it was something that was, was happening right, right beneath us. And, and it was an idea that Chris Chambers and David Sahadi had to take Austin who had been injured and do a series of kind of stylized vignettes where Steve was constantly calling out Bret Hart. And just constantly calling him out, constantly calling him out to where the, the vignettes were, they were heelish in the traditional sense of what the hell a heel did, but they were done in a way that after a while, shit, I like Steve had the barking dogs and everything coming at you behind a cyclone fence. Austin made them his own. And I think that was that turn. That's the turn that he went from you know, ringmaster to stone cold and people really got it at that point. Without question, people got it. Um, but it's sort of fun to talk about how it all happened. And Austin has said that Brian Pillman would often tease him and say that he's a baby face and Steve would get half hot about it because he considered himself a heel and he'd always been a heel and always wanted to be a heel. 
do you remember the talk of, Hey, you're going to be a baby face because it clearly doesn't seem like it was the original plan, but wow. Was he ever a baby face? It was, it wasn't the original plan. However, I think there was a, it was a two pronged effect. Steve was getting over with his promos. The people liked him and they were getting sick of Brett as the baby face. Brett had reached the point of Hulk Hogan, uh, you know, right before WrestleMania nine, where people were sick of Hulkamania. They were sick of Brett at this point. So you had Brett and Steve colliding and the promo Steve cut were honest. People could identify. He wasn't, he wasn't bullshitting them. He was saying real things about Brett Hart. He was saying the things that the audience was saying, but we still positioned Brett as that baby face and the audience, what they weren't buying it anymore. Well, what they were buying is a lot of Austin 316 shirts. Austin 316, of course, was born a King of the Ring 96, which we've done an episode on in the archives at somethingtowrestle.com. Uh, the Austin 316 shirts were made very quickly. And before you know it, it's one of the hottest selling shirts in the business. And there's like an, an old school way of thinking that, hey, heels don't sell merchandise. Well, that was an exception when it came to the Austin 316 <laughs> shirt, was it not? <laughs> it sure was, and it, but it was a testament to the popularity of Stone Cold Steve Austin. It was also a testament to the fact that most men don't want to wear a picture of another guy in his face on their shirt. Austin 316 was a message. It was a sign, and, and it was a slogan that people liked. It was cool. People. People on the outside that didn't know, they liked it. It was cool. People would ask, what the hell's Austin 316? So this was this was a departure from the normal Coco Beware shirt, a shot of Coco with Frankie the Bird and, and what have you, and Bret Hart with a picture of Bret Hart on the shirt. It was a statement, Austin 316. So they were different. People bought them. Well, let's get to Royal Rumble 1997. We've done an episode on this available in the archives, but let's touch on it very briefly here. January 19th, the Alamo Dome, Austin comes in at number five. It's really probably his breakout performance. One of my favorite rumbles of all time. He eliminates Phineas, Bart, uh, Jake, Owen, Mero, Savio, Road Dog, uh, Vader, Undertaker, and Bret Hart. And ultimately he becomes the winner. Brett actually eliminated him, but the refs were on the other side of the ring. No one sees it. So Steve sneaks back in, eliminates Undertaker and Vader at the same time. And, uh, because Brett never saw him sneak back in, Brett winds up getting eliminated as well. And that's what the referees see. And Austin has announced the winner and, uh, Brett's not happy. Goes over to the commentator's table, uh, tries to shake up Vince McMahon. And it's a tease of what is to come. But at the time, you guys probably had a different plan in mind. What was Austin going to do at WrestleMania 13 from the best of your recollection? God, I don't really remember. <laughs> that That's the crazy thing about it. I don't remember. And it's funny how when things change, that domino effect, you start moving in a new direction. You throw the old direction out of your brain a lot of times. But the Royal Rumble for those of you in the, what is it? The meme world? What is it? A, a gif, a gif? 
Yeah, you, we'll go you, with that. You see that? Yeah, you see that Steve Austin looking, sitting on the top rope, looking at his wrist like he's looking at his watch, waiting for the next guy to come out. That's from this Royal Rumble. And it just was, again, it was another chapter in the book of Steve Austin and that transition to the next chapter in his life of being a babyface. Everybody thought, I remember Jake Roberts, man, he's a heel. He's a heel. <laughs> and and trying to push him in that direction. But the more that we pushed Steve in the direction of being a heel, the more popular he became. Well, the next night on Raw, uh, it opens up with Bret Hart quitting the company over what happened at Royal Rumble. And Austin comes out and says that ever since you've come back, you've done nothing but cry. You say Vince screwed you. I screwed you. How everybody screwed you. And the bottom line is when the going gets tough, the hearts get going back home. So go back to Canada because the only person you can beat is your wrinkled up old man in his little old basement. Great promo. And it really does a lot to continue to build this Steve Austin feud. When did you realize, man, Brett and Steve is just fucking magic. Wow. Right. I really and truly back at survivor series because they, they had, they had that special spark. They, they made beautiful music together and it felt good. It felt real. And here was the opportunity. Well, let's, let's get back there again. The other part about it was there's a way for a baby face to complain. There's a way for a baby face to come out and, and say, I got screwed. Unfortunately, I think that when Brett was doing it at this time, even as a babyface, he came across whiny. He came across like he was bitching and complaining all the time, which he was because he was getting screwed all the time. When Steve pointed that out, I think, again, this was that turning point in the audience. And this is where you saw a little bit more of a mature audience say, you know what? Fuck Bret Hart. All he does is whine and cry because he loses. Austin comes out, kicks his ass, says he's going to kick his ass and then kicks his ass. So it was, um, those two, for whatever reason, they, they were like peanut butter and jelly. Let's get to the final four ghost out of Chattanooga on the heels of Sean losing his smile. Now, instead of it being the final four participants from the Royal rumble and the winner becomes the number one contender. Now the winner becomes the world champion. Uh, Bret Hart winds up winning the match over Steve Austin, big Ben Vader and the undertaker. They go 24 minutes and change one of my favorite matches ever, uh, which is a little weird because it's a four way, but even Meltzer loved it. They got four and a quarter stars. Vader is bleeding like a stuck pig. What a memorable match this was. What do you remember about the final four in Chattanooga? Well, I'll tell you why it was so memorable memorable easy for you to say i know is because you couldn't call it right you you had four guys that everybody believed well of course they're gonna put it on brett he's the only logical uh answer but you got undertaker in there too how how do you beat the undertaker and then vader had his little run stolen from him for a while It, it, it could be vader he deserves it but that fucking Austin is red hot. 
Maybe they're going to surprise us and do something just completely out of the blue and have uh, Austin come over. To me, that was the beauty of that match. Going into it, there wasn't a clear cut. I see what they're going to do now. It was intriguing, and it had people guessing. And you had different factions along the way. Big, strong Undertaker fans, they wanted him. You had your Bret Hart fans. But then you had that pocket swelling with Austin, and you had a section of it that felt Vader couldn't be beat. So that's what I remember of it, just the beauty of those four talents aligned at the same time and no one being able to call what the hell we were going to do. We weren't sure what we were going to do until the last minute. Well, the next night on Raw, it all changed again. Sid beat Brett for the title when Austin hit Brett with a chair. And around that time... I guess maybe early March, it comes out in the observer that Austin has a partial tear of his PCL and he's supposed to be out of action until WrestleMania, man, what could have been, were you guys concerned that he wouldn't be able to make the big show? Not really. It was, it said it was a partial tear and it was something that was bothering Steve, but it was also something that could be fixed relatively quickly without, uh, not a lot of rehab time. So the feeling was that, you know what, he'll, he'll make it. We'll get him there. And Steve didn't think it was a big deal at the time. Eventually Steve would have issues with both knees and get everything fixed. But at this time he was on a, he was on a roll and wanted to get, get some rest and just heal up as much as he possibly could before mania. Well, what they announced on TV while he's at home is that Brett is going to wrestle Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13 in a submission match. And I find this story fascinating because it's my favorite match of all time. And it's a lot of people's favorite match. If you haven't watched it, you should, uh, it's WrestleMania 13, a submission match with stone cold, Steve Austin and Bret Hart. But that little detail about it being a submission match is something even Austin didn't know until they saw it on TV. And he's been critical of the decision. Of course, you know, it wound up working out and being just fine, but he says, man, a submission match is hard to do, especially when you don't have a submission finisher. <laughs> yeah. He, I, I will never forget that conversation. God damn. What the hell am I supposed to do kid? I got no submission. <laughs> what, what are we working to? I said, well, obviously this is Brett's match. It favors Brett. Um, it puts you, you know, puts you in a hole, but goddamn, what do I do? And I think that Steve was missing the, the fact that we wanted him in jeopardy. We wanted the odds to be against Steve Austin. And he was just really concerned. He didn't think it would be a good match because he was a brawler. Steve liked to get in and kick and punch and brawl. Didn't think they were going to buy him in a submission match. Couldn't have been more wrong. On March 10th, JR is interviewing Ken Shamrock and JR announces that Shamrock will be the very special guest referee in the Austin Brett match at WrestleMania, which JR teases might be a title match. And of course, Shamrock is saying he's going to be a fair referee, whether or not Austin or Brett like it, he won't be intimidated, blah, blah, blah. And then Austin speaking through the video wall interrupts Shamrock's comments. Why did you guys think that you needed to add 
Ken Shamrock to the mix here? Because we had signed a deal with Shamrock and we had finally uh, come to terms with Shamrock to come in and work. It was a way of introducing that character, different light, by putting him in, in as a special guest referee. It also was an opportunity to have the aftermath with Bret Hart where you could see Ken Shamrock wasn't going to take shit from anybody. And Ken was a pretty big name, probably the biggest name uh, other than Hoist Gracie out of the UFC. So Ken Shamrock moving over to professional wrestling, sports entertainment, that was a big deal in the world of sport. Because now people forgot that Ken Shamrock, before he went into the UFC, was a professional wrestler. Those people are now like, oh my God, why would he leave a legitimate sport like UFC to go to that damn WWF? This is blasphemy. So it was a way to introduce Ken in a place where he was comfortable, submission wrestling. He would be the referee. People knew he wasn't going to take any shit off of Stone Cold Steve Austin. And as we found out, sure wasn't going to take any shit off of Bret Hart. And it was a nice way to introduce Ken and get him in the mix. And it also alleviates that feeling of, well, Austin doesn't have a submission. He had a Now he had a third man in the ring that's, you know, what the hell is he going to do with that? The go home episode of uh, Monday night raw, right before WrestleMania 13 is one of my favorite episodes of raw ever. Uh, if you're looking for something to watch this week, I can't recommend that enough, but let's talk about WrestleMania 13. It's a match that we've covered before in our archives at something to wrestle.com. It goes down on March 23rd, 1997, right there in Chicago, Bret Hart gets the win in a submission match. Uh, the best match of all time. It's five stars in the observer. It's five stars in anybody, uh, anybody's book who matters. Just an unbelievable performance. We can't possibly put it over enough here on this show. When did you know, okay, here's what we're doing because it does feel like you guys are, are sort of forced to reshuffle the deck. I think everybody knows the original plan was supposed to be Brett and Sean at WrestleMania 13. Sean pulls up lame with the, I lost my smile speech and you guys are left to scramble. So the main event, instead of being Brett and Sean becomes Sid and undertaker, which isn't quite the main event. Maybe you were hoping for, but holy cow, does this Bret Hart Austin match make up for it completely? Uh, where does that rank? Where does that match rank in your all time? As long as you were with the company, where is it in the pecking order? Uh, probably in the top three. Ever. And the reason I say that is because it was such a great display of the proper psychology in working a match. It was the perfect double switch. It turned Austin babyface and turned Brett heel very clearly throughout that entire match. And when we left that night, you had Brett as a stone cold heel. No pun intended, pun intended. And you had Steve Austin is a stone cold baby face. In the middle of that, you introduced a brand new character in Ken Shamrock to our world and went, holy shit, he's a top guy because he's already throwing top guys around. The both Brett and Steve respected Shamrock throughout the match. Shamrock played it perfectly. So to me, it was, it was the perfect match in every element. 
Steve went out, was a heel in the beginning, Brett babyface, Shamrock was the perfect third man enforcer. And throughout the course of that match, they took that audience and completely turned them and had Steve on the outset being the biggest baby face in the world and Brett being the biggest asshole and Ken Shamrock being a tough son of a bitch. So psychologically, that was amazing. The, the work in the match, just the way that it was put together, the way that uh, Brett and, and Austin worked together and told that story. But to, to Brett, the ring was a canvas. Brett being an artist, that was his metaphor. He liked to look at the, at the mat and at the ring. As, that was his canvas to paint his picture. And on that night, he painted the Mona Lisa. Yeah, he did. I mean, it's a double turn. It tells a great story, as you said. But one of the things that you didn't mention is that Austin didn't quit. He winds up passing out from blood loss. What a twist, because now you've got this, um, anti-hero who just refuses to quit. Let's fast forward the March 31st raw McMahon is interviewing Steve Austin and Austin says he never quit and Brett didn't do a damn thing. He just knocked his head against a guardrail and Austin says he only passed out because his blood was pumping out of his head faster than uh, his heart could keep up with. And he's telling Brett, put on a clean pair of panties and come down and I'll whip your ass. Brett comes on the big screen, responds to Steve Austin. And Brett says he's finished with Austin. And Austin says something like, you'll have to kill me to be finished with me. And he talks about how he's going to kill Brett Hart and his tombstone is going to say, Austin whipped my pink and black ass or something like that. Usually a WrestleMania show like this is the blow off of a big angle, but you guys decide to, Hey man, that was awesome. Let's keep it going. Why did you make the decision to keep going with uh, Brett and Austin after WrestleMania? It's a totally brand new match. Now you, you have with them switching roles. It's like having a brand new opponent. So it is starting all over again with them in the opposite roles, Brett being the heel and Austin being the baby face. And the beauty and to me, I think this is just so pivotal with Steve Austin, when Steve turned babyface, and I, I remember using Kevin Nash as an example, we didn't change him. We, we kept him the same Steve Austin that he was as the ringmaster coming in and turning into stone cold, Steve Austin. We didn't all of a sudden, okay, Steve's now a baby face. Let's bring him into the office and, and have him at the 4th of July picnic, cooking hot dogs and handing out slices of watermelon with a big old smile on his face. This was still that same nasty guy. We didn't we, we tweaked his opponents. We didn't tweak him. So we just switched sides of what side of the roster he was working with. He kept his same promos. He kept his same demeanor. He kept everything the same. So that audience that began to love him, now they really love him because he's saying, fuck the establishment. I'm not changing for anybody. I'm going to continue to be this same Stone Cold Steve Austin. And in my opinion, I think that was, it was a battle, but that was what made the difference in, in keeping 
and making Steve as strong of a baby face right off the bat is that we didn't change him. We let the audience just have him. It's like, here you go. And they love that. Well, I think we all loved the uh, WrestleMania match. Uh, I hate to go back to it, but it's my favorite match ever. Let's address the rumor and innuendo because at the time, I think you guys had like an anti-blood policy and here's Steve Austin just pouring a gusher on the pay-per-view. I know we've touched on this in our WrestleMania 13 episode available in the archives, but chat me up the storyline here or the word we've heard rather is that Brett and Austin did this on their own. They did. And we did have an anti-blood policy and it was something that I believe Brett felt the match really needed and took it upon themselves to do it, but no one knew about it. And it was meant to look like it was a hard way with the bell in the corner, which has happened. But, um, no, that was something the talent did on their own. So fascinating to me because that match is totally different without it. Let's get to their next match. It's April 20th, Rochester, New well, York. Uh, but, but Conrad, hang on. Even, even as you say that, and we had an anti-blood policy. Think of that shot of oh, Steve. Iconic. Uh, forever. I don't know that it would have been, a, it wouldn't have been the same. No, I agree. Any fines passed out? Any heat? A lot of heat. I don't know, I've, you know, Vince handled it himself personally, but there was a lot of heat. He was not happy. Well, we were. So thank you, Brett. For bucking the company policy because wow what a what a match you guys did a rematch though uh the next in your house april 20th rochester new york this time steve gets a win over brett by dq obviously it's a good match but it's nowhere near um what they did at wrestlemania there is a a referee bump brett gets a chair used it on austin's knee does the figure four around the ring post which is Pretty creative spot. I mean, Brett created that whole thing, figure four around the ring post, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> Brett Hart is one of those guys that you could go out and Brett would be either be sitting in the crowd or just walking around the ringside area and just staring at the ring constantly and was constantly creating. And I remember, I forget who the hell it was. It may have been Owen that. He took in the ring and said, let me try something and put the figure four on him. And it was like, holy shit. It looked like it hurt like hell. It probably hurt Brett more than anybody, but it was so visually vicious that you went, holy crap. And that was the kind of thing that, in my opinion, made Brett Hart so unique and that he would always constantly try to be different and create something new. And Austin, of course, you know, same thing. Austin always wanted to, to be different. He wanted to stand out. So you take those two heads and you put them together and this is what you got. And I think that I can't think of a bad match that Brett and Steve had. I, you know, like I can, you look at some of them, God, that one, that one was a stinker. They were off that day. No chemistry that day, but I, I can't think of one. Well, this is sort of the forgotten match in their trilogy of pay-per-view matches. Everybody talks about the Survivor Series 96 match. And of course, 
WrestleMania 13, but this in your house one, I feel like people sort of gloss over, uh, but it was a fun match. Ultimately bulldog comes in and hits Austin with a chair that allows for the DQ, but it's still a fun match. Three and three quarter stars. And, uh, Brett's actually working this match with a bad knee and a, a bad wrist. And he winds up getting knee surgery on the 23rd of April and then wrist surgery the next day. And it's written in a storyline the next night on raw, where he has a confrontation with uh, stone cold, Steve Austin raw opens with Vince interviewing Austin and Jr. announces that Austin is scheduled to face Brett in a street fight. And, uh, they put a countdown on the screen and the fans count down the final 10 seconds and Brett doesn't come out uh, after Austin's challenge. And Ross says that he saw Brett in the locker room in the back. So he's here. And Austin says something like, I knew damn well, you didn't have the damn guts to show up. So I'm going back there to get you. And then Brett appears on the screen. Uh, Brett of course is with Owen and bulldog standing by his side and he accepts the challenge. And this is a pretty famous pay-per-view here. Uh, or show here rather. And they show Austin walking around looking for Brett. Eventually Austin comes back to the ring and this is later in the show and Brett comes out in street clothes and a three on one attack uh, happens here. And Shawn Michaels comes out of the crowd and saves Austin swinging at Brett who ducks, but he nails Owen and bulldog this street fight where all of a sudden Sean Michaels makes the save who would have predicted that this is the way the creative would go just a few months prior. This is just seeing what's hot and going with it. Is it not exactly? And you, and you had to, that was, it was also where we were utilizing live television and not doing you, you go back and you look at the way that we traditionally did things. We would do three weeks of television at a time, sometimes four weeks, even by doing live TV and doing TV every other week, it afforded you the opportunity to, to change and basically adapt on, on a dime. So we were able to do that going along and yeah, it's guys were getting injured. It's a way to pivot and move on to the next thing fairly quickly. So if you had something there and you have, you have a Shawn Michaels available now, Brett's hurt and Brett has all these issues. We've got to get Brett out of the picture for a little while while still keeping him in the picture, um, that enabled us to do it. So it was a chance to really utilize the live television aspect and the different, the different way that we did television at that time, uh, to our advantage. This is the episode where you guys have, um, Bret Hart put on a stretcher and then put in an ambulance, pretty memorable moment on Monday night raw. What do you remember about the involvement of an ambulance? Because as a kid, I remember this. I mean, still, I remember this, like it happened two weeks ago, not 20 something years ago. I'll tell you, and I'll, I'll give you the analogy that was always given. I, I, damn it, I want to see that ambulance like when, when Strongbow and they uh, took him out on the, on, the, on the stretcher and loaded him in the ambulance. It's a visual that you as a child 
you can still remember that visual of that ambulance. That was real to people. That made it real. There was uh, the deal, he kept going back to Strongbow, where they took the ring steps that were wooden ring steps. They broke the ring steps apart and made a splint for Strongbow's leg when Greg Valentine broke his leg. Because Greg Valentine liked to break Native Americans' legs, apparently. But they uh, wrapped Strongbow up and carried him out, and then put him in the in the ambulance. So this was that was the visual that was letting you know Brett's fucked now. He's really hurt, folks. He's going out on an ambulance, and it wasn't overused at this point. It wasn't something that you saw every other week. It was special, so they knew. Okay, this this may have been, this may have gone too far. The rest of that shit over there, you know, that's just entertainment. But that that one was real. When they fight for them gold belts and stuff, they's real. The next week, uh, April twenty eighth, Undertaker uh, beats Bulldog by DQ. Austin makes the save. Undertaker's cleaning house, but then Austin turns on Undertaker and hits the stunner. Undertaker sits up, grabs Austin by the throat, choke slams him. And eventually when Austin recovers, he goes after Brett, who at this point is in the wheelchair, but then he's attacked by Jim Neidhart, who's returning. And uh, Brett hits Austin with the crutch, breaking the crutch, knocking Austin off the stage. Austin's doing a stretcher job as the show goes off the air. So they're back and forth with everybody's living in a stretcher, but it's a fun way to bring back Jim Neidhart as well. Hypothetically, what'd that sound like when you found out that Jim's coming back? Yeah, that, that, yeah, you got the, you got the rhino there and, uh, yeah, you know, that big, uh, uh strong bastard, he, you know, you know, he and Brett, they, they've been, they've been in the ring. Uh, it'd be good. Uh, you'd get the, get the boy, get that, uh, yeah, back together, that big bastard is a strong bastard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Your House, Cold Day in Hell is a match that uh, sort of goes untalked about. I mean, it's almost a forgotten world title match. It's the Undertaker pinning Steve Austin in a world title match on pay-per-view in 1997. And it's his first world title match on pay-per-view. I mean, this is a big moment. I mean, Steve Austin, who's always been slotted, you know, not necessarily, I hate the term underneath, but he's always been underneath and now he's on top working undertaker who is even at this point, an icon in the company, it's a three-star match, but undertaker gets the win here. what do you think of the match and how big of a deal is this for Steve to main event a pay-per-view for the world title against the fucking undertaker? It had to be something he took a lot of pride in. Sure, it was. It was a hell of a deal. And it was also, you know, one of those you got to tread lightly on because Undertaker's a popular character as well, no matter what role he's in. You know, whether he's playing a baby face or a heel, that, that's a tough position to be in. But Steve Austin, again, to our audience, maybe he didn't main event and go for the title in a lot of pay per views. He was always in a top spot. When Steve first came into the company, he went around as the ringmaster with no program, no nothing, and worked with Shawn Michaels every night for the championship. Tore the house down, and that was one of those, that guy has got it. That guy is going to be a huge star one day. Even though Vince still only saw him as the ringmaster, whatever you do, don't let him talk. He can't, 
he can't talk with that damn Southern accent. And now, you know, Steve is, is moving on to the pay-per-view, but for so long, Steve in the heel role was the perfect opponent for any baby face to help get him over. And so Steve had been in the top position in house shows all almost since the day that he walked in the door. This match in particular is interesting because Brian Pillman hops the rail and the bell rings causing some momentary confusion. The match is eventually restarted. Uh, Undertaker of course, uh, gets the tombstone and the pin, but afterwards the heart foundation attacks the undertaker and Austin sees Brett by himself in the wheelchair, knocks him off the wheelchair, grabs one of the crutches, hits the ring and cleans house with it. It's a three-star match and segment. Uh, and Steve Austin is on fire. Let's go to the May 19th raw. Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels wind up challenging Owen Hart and Davey boy Smith. How in the world do Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels become the strangest of bedfellows here? <laughs> because they were, they were the hottest damn baby faces that we had at the time. And for that exact reaction. How the fuck do these guys coexist? When you tell the backstory, they're both Texans. They're both from the same part of Texas, pretty much. And that kind of makes sense. But personality-wise, on air, they were as opposite as opposite could get. Steve was the rough, tough, and Sean was the heartbreak kid and uh, sexy boy, if you will. In real life, they're very similar. They both love to hunt. They're both from Texas. Um, and enjoy the same things, but this was for us, it was something that made a lot of sense. And it also, it also, now you have Sean dust that you can sprinkle on people and it allowed Sean to sprinkle a little bit of that charisma and the most electrifying, um, on Steve somewhat. I thought they were, that to me, it was a hell of a tag team at the time. Well, the raw on May 26th opens with them doing an interview and then they start arguing LOD comes out. And what do you know, later in the same episode, Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels win the tag titles when Shawn super kicks Davey boy. And of course, after the match, the heart foundation interfere and we're back at it, but this is really Shawn's first match back after losing his smile and forfeiting the world title. And he's back as a tie, a tag champ. Whose idea was this? This seems like it comes out of left field, man. It did, but it was also wait, you know, Sean was okay. I'm, I'm, I'm better. I'm back. I'm ready to go. So get Sean in the mix. Steve was, man, <laughs> that tide was rising. So use both of them to keep going. It was a good combination and it was good pairing to put them together because they were the two biggest baby faces in the company at the time. It would be reported in the observer that, uh, Austin actually hurt his neck again in this match. And of course we know that Steve Austin is going to have a series of neck issues, the biggest of which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But first, when did you know, when was it on the company's radar? Hey man. Steve might have a neck thing going on probably right about this time because Steve was having problems with it. The, 
the issue a lot of times, especially back then when we didn't know a whole lot about, you didn't know a whole lot about concussions. You didn't know a lot about a lot of things. And we didn't have a physician on the road with the boys full time. We did have physicians at television tapings and pay-per-views obviously, but they weren't out on the road with them full time. And the guys were going out working and having nagging injuries, but they didn't want to let anybody know. It's like, oh, I'll work through it. I'm just stiff. I'm stiff. I'm fine. And Steve had had this injury and gone to a doctor who doesn't understand that wrestling has worked. You control your bumps. You do all of these things. And he just looked at, at what he saw and says, man, you can't do this. You, that guy's dropping you on your head. This guy's doing that to you. And Steve, I don't know that Steve wanted to smarten the doctor up and let him know, no, it's a work. Um, so I think he took the advice of, of some of the early doctors as, okay, I need, I need some rest. Yeah. Certainly I'm not going to stop my career because I'm sore. And that was the attitude. A lot of times with guys, we didn't, we didn't have the knowledge I think that, that we have now. And you look back, God, 25 years ago, um, you just didn't know. The next week on raw Brett announces he's not going to be able to wrestle Shawn Michaels at King of the ring. And he actually suggests that Austin take his place, uh, which is what happens. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, LOD on this episode of Monday night raw, get a win over Michaels and Austin by count out. Uh, when Austin and Sean are actually brawling with each other, which is sort of interesting. The storyline here is these guys are tag champs, but can't get along and they're going to have a singles match at King of the ring. But the original plan was supposed to be Sean and Brett at King of the ring. Is that right? I am trying to remember. I believe it was, but Brett was now this time Brett was injured. Right. So that was a little bit of the motivation behind the tag team, the unlikely tag team of Sean and Brett. I mean, of Sean and Stone Cold. The, uh, the other thing is you're looking at this cause Steve was red fucking hot as a heel. We thought, all right, well, they'll, They'll be behind Steve. You know, this, this thing's going to move on because Sean lost his smile. Sean's back. He's the pretty boy. And there's this big groundswell. And then, holy fuck, we get there and they were happy as shit to see Sean. And we're kind of going, uh-oh. I don't know if this was the greatest booking in the world. All right, let's take a time out right now to remind everybody that the biggest wrestling weekend of the year is finally upon us. It's New York City, April 3rd through April 7th. And if you can't get there, man, Fight TV has you hooked up. They're going to be streaming 20 live wrestling events, including the Ring of Honor and New Japan G1 Supercard from a sold-out Madison Square Garden, Impact Wrestling's United We Stand, WrestlePro, the WrestleCon Super Show, the WWN Super Show, House of Glory, and more. For a limited time only, the Fight Fest package that has over a $280 value is available for only $119.99. That's right, $119.99, and boom, you're in 20 shows, man. Take advantage of this super deal right now. Go to fight.tv or do what I do. Download the Fight app in your app store 
and take advantage of this unbelievable offer. One more time, it's the Fight Fest package. You get 20 live events for one low price. It's valued at over 280 bucks. You can get it for less than 120 bucks. Make it happen right now at fight.tv or download the Fight app in the App Store. And don't forget, Fight is F-I-T-E. That's F-I-T-E dot TV or download the Fight app. You're going to love it. Let's talk about uh, the King of the Ring match. Sean and Steve go to a double DQ in 22 minutes. It gets four stars in the Observer. It's a fun match, but it does feel a little weird. Um, there's a ref bump and you know, it's supposed to be a finish, but it's not, Uh, I guess I should mention too. And this is kind of fun. He gives the referee a stunner. It's Tim white, but he gives the referee a stunner. And then Michael super kicks him and, and, you know, he has a pin, but there's no referee to count the pin, which is a, a fun story. Sean gets frustrated not being able to get the pin and he had Austin down forever. So he should have, but then Earl Hebner, a third referee runs in and disqualifies both men for attacking the first two referees. The fans are not happy with the finish, but it does tell a good story and it gets a great rating in the observer, especially for sort of a non finish. What'd you think? I mean, did you guys have any idea that this was going to be as good as it was, especially on, you know, I don't know you hate this term. This is kind of a throwaway pay-per-view. Is it not? No, not really. Um, but this was, this was kind of a mystery. We didn't know what we were going to have. And we really thought Steve would be the bigger baby face. We didn't expect Sean to get the kind of reaction that he got, which was bigger than Steve's at this time. So the audience live was taking Sean as man, full fledged old fashioned baby face. Oh my God. And they, there were people that were behind Steve and Steve definitely had his portion of the audience. The match itself. Excellent. And you really can't beat either one of these guys at this point. So I love the creativity of the finish because you kept going and kept going and both guys look good. And, the end of it. And sometimes you, you have that type of a finish where everybody's going, what the fuck you don't have a winner or loser, but it was damn exciting and told a good story that here you have this unlikely tag team that are now wrestling each other because they don't like each other. And in the end, it furthered that stone cold character because I know where he stuns the referee and everybody comes in and it was, it wasn't too convoluted. It was pretty damn easy to follow. The uh, next raw sees Austin wrestling Brian Pillman. It ends in a DQ win for Austin. It's notable because Austin actually breaks Pillman's nose in the match after he kicks a chair into his face. And these are these two guys are best of friends, going back to their run in WCW when they were the Hollywood Blondes. What was their relationship like here in '97, Austin and Pillman? They had a good relationship and this was, you know, Brian had been through so much with the Humvee accident and everything. And he, we were looking for Brian to come in and have that program with Steve for those who remembered the Hollywood blondes thought they would really appreciate it. But also, also more importantly, 
was if you wanted to get Brian Pillman over, you got to put him with the hottest guy on the roster at the time, which was Stone Cold Steve Austin. And Steve really wanted to work with Brian. So them coming in and then all the series of injuries that took place with Brian, it was just, it was snake bit from the beginning. Let's talk a little bit about, um, Calgary stampede. We've covered this episode in great detail in the archives. We did a whole show on it, but the main event is one of the most legendary matches of the year. Brett Owen, Davey, Neidhart, Pillman on one side, the Hart foundation taking on Steve Austin, LOD, Ken Shamrock and gold dust. It goes 24 minutes. It's so over with the crowd. The camera is shaking. It got four and a quarter stars in the observer afterwards, a huge celebration by the entire heart clan in the ring. Such a special moment. Uh, what can you tell us about Canadian stampede? Well, obviously it was a very special night because the Canadian heroes, if you were, it was their homecoming. It was a chance for the Hart Foundation in their home to be victorious and conquer those big, bad Americans. You you move 100 miles south into the States, and you would have the exact opposite reaction, where the Hart Foundation would have been the heels all the way, and the baby faces would have been them damn red, white, and blue baby faces. But this was the beginning of that that siege feeling where you were going, holy cow, the audience was into everything. They were believing everything. Austin was red hot just as a character in general. Bret Hart was red hot as a character in general. And you had these two factions. It was a, not a, what's the best, uh, let's say Hulk Hogan versus the Iron Sheik. Clearly USA versus Iran traditional all-American flag-waving babyface. This wasn't that. This was natural. This was country pride and Canada loving loving their their homegrown sons, man. They, they, these were these were their heroes. They were one of them. And America saying, "Fuck you, Canada and your homegrown sons. We want our homegrown sons." Stone Cold Steve Austin from Texas. Doesn't get any better coming from Texas, by God. But that whole, it was us versus them without ever having to to really go there. We did go there, but in the beginning, it wasn't uh, an America versus Canada. It was Austin versus Brett and the Hart Foundation. But the two countries took it that way. And the, and again, that was another example of the audience dictating and being able to dictate the roles, no matter what country they were in. The next item on Raw from Edmonton, the Hart Foundation's in the ring, watching the Tron as the Canadian national anthem is playing. Austin comes out from behind, takes them all out with chairs. And then later in the show, Austin pins Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And after the match, he's doing a uh, interview and calls mankind to the ring and they wind up hugging, but he turns on mankind and hits him with the stunner. Uh, Michaels is out of action after his backstage fight with Bret Hart. And it's announced that there's going to be a tournament with the winner facing uh, facing Austin and a partner of his choosing for the tag titles. 
and Mankind is asking Austin to pick him as his partner. Of course, Owen and Bulldog win the tournament. On the July 14th Raw, it's announced that Austin is going to challenge Owen Hart for the Intercontinental title at SummerSlam in a Kiss My Ass match, which is kind of fun. Uh, Later in the show, Austin faces Owen and Bulldog for the tag titles by himself, and they have a good match, and uh, they announce a partner is going to show up after the commercial break. It turns out to be Mankind. This time is Dude Love. And Austin uses the stoner on Bulldog and Love pins him at 10 minutes. This is the debut of Dude Love. And uh, it's interesting that that happened when he was tagging with Steve Austin. I think that sort of gets buried. Uh, Talk to me about Dude Love. I don't know when we'll talk about him again. Well, Steve was partnerless. And... Steve was, you know, going out and doing all these tag matches and tag scenarios by himself. Steve needed a partner, but Steve Austin is not the stereotypical going to go out and ask anybody for help. So mankind had been trying to pick me, Steve, I'll help you. And Steve, I don't need your goddamn help. And it, it was a story that had gone on and on with mankind. So what eventually happened is you have the alter ego of mankind to make Foley dude love who decides that Steve Austin needs a partner and he also might need a little bit of love. And that would, that would be where the dude came in. So the debut of dude love coming out and helping a guy that doesn't want help in stone cold, Steve Austin and the two of them being successful and Steve, that typical, this is where we realize that didn't matter who you were, baby face, heel, man, woman, child, Steve Austin had to stun you at the end of the night. Hulk Hogan must pose. Steve Austin must stun. Wow. I felt a t-shirt coming on the July 21st raw is from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Brett, Owen, and Davey boy, get a win over undertaker, Austin and dude love and a flag on the pole match. Um, the finish comes when Brian Pillman is under the ring and knocks down the undertaker as he tries to climb the pole to get the American flag. So of course on the opposite side, Brett grabs a Canadian flag for the win. And that gets us to SummerSlam. We've, uh, we've touched on this before. Tell us the story, Steve Austin and Owen Hart here. This, uh, changes everything. Well, I thought, it, you know, you go into it. It was a great match up until, that one point where Owen Hart delivered the, you know, reverse pile driver with Steve and man, it changed the course of, of wrestling, changed the course of stone cold, Steve Austin's career forever. I mean, that one moment in the match and after hitting the pile driver where Steve's head was dropped down too low and uh, Owen hit it differently than I think Steve was expecting him to hit it. And where, when you do the tombstone pile driver that Steve thought he was going to get, you come down on your knees and Owen delivered it where he comes down on his ass. Um, both of which have been done a variety of times and a lot of times safely. And I think if you were to have Owen Hart do the, do the move a hundred times in a row, he'd probably hit it. And this was unfortunately one of the nights that. Mistakes happen, and it was 
Steve Austin's head that got drilled into the mat, leaving Steve essentially paralyzed in the middle of the ring and couldn't feel anything, didn't have control of his body. And that's a scary fucking place to be. And Steve somehow mustered enough and got back enough feeling in the ring to be able to kind of roll Owen Hart up and get the victory. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, it would have been easy for Owen just to cover Steve at that point, one, two, three. But Steve called it because the stipulation was if you lose the match, if Austin lost the match, he'd have to kiss Owen's ass. And he didn't want to do that stipulation. And plus, I mean, that was the finish of the match. Steve would win and win the Intercontinental Championship. But imagine the faculties of Steve down there not not being able to fully control his body. I said, well, I ain't going to kiss some bitch's ass. And having the wherewithal to, to roll him up in the, the worst roll-up in wrestling history. But just because – but the when you look at it, the worst roll-up in wrestling history, however – kind of one of the most miraculous too, that he was even able to do that much when you look at how bad his neck was. He wrote about this in his book. He says they talked about the spot beforehand, uh, in the back. And, uh, he even says that he clarified not once, but twice that Owen was going to fall on his knees, not his ass. And he thought Owen was ribbing when he said, no, he falls on his ass and he was still upset about it. He talked about, you know, if you watch the videotape, this is directly from his book. If you watch the videotape, my head's about six to eight inches below his ass. I weigh two fifty. He weighed two twenty five or thereabouts at the time. But with the jump up and impact down, man, I got spiked head first into the mat hard as hell. That's one of the things that's gonna turn you into a quadriplegic quicker than anything, like what happened to Christopher Reeves. It's called an axial load. It's not a whiplash thing, but a major impact impact blow to the spinal cord. Boom. I remember when it happened, I was going to kick out on two and a half or two and three quarters. I was going to sell the pile driver, but I was going to kick out of it at the last second. And when my head hit the mat, it was as if a big gong went off in my body. When stuff like that happens, people usually go unconscious or get all groggy, but I stayed razor sharp the whole time. It was almost like I had super hearing my legs straightened up. My arms bent up. My hands were frozen. I remember kind of picking my head up from the mat and telling the referee Earl Hebner, tell him not to fucking touch me. I can't move. And Earl got up and told Owen, don't touch him. He can't move. And then I said, tell him to buy me some time. Earl told him that. So Owen started trying to get the crowd to chant and chanting to the crowd. And he was buying me time that I needed. Uh, and, uh, eventually you can actually see Earl tell Owen and, and Owen looks down at Steve and he's very concerned several times, but they got to find a way out of this. So he walks around the ring yelling at the crowd and a minute and a half go by. And Austin would say, I finally started to get a little bit of my feeling back in my limbs, my shoulder and interior delts were on fire. It felt like it took everything I had to bend my legs and try to get into a crawl position, but I couldn't crawl on my hands cause I couldn't use my hands yet at all. We had to get to the finish and I had to win. So I was crawling around on my elbows and I told the ref roll up for the win. He told Owen when I had called and the next thing was the worst looking roll up <laughs> in wrestling history because he couldn't use his limbs. 
and he manages to hold Owen on his back and get a three count. This is uh, not a good moment in his career, and he held a bit of a grudge for this, did he not? Yeah, he did, and I think that Steve, again, it's it's the the risk you take every time that you step into the ring. You're giving someone else your body, so you trust them with your body. I don't believe for a second that Owen Hart maliciously hurt Steve Austin, and I think it was a freak accident that happened. However, when it's you being dropped on your head and being paralyzed and going through what Steve did, I think I would probably be bitter and a little pissed off as well. So as great of a technician as Owen Hart was, this was a mistake, and this was something that unfortunately happened. You go back and you think of, as I said before, the, the, the fact that Steve was able to regain some feeling and have the wherewithal to crawl on his elbows and get to the worst looking roll up in the history of the business, that in and of itself is kind of miraculous as well. When you find out after the fact and, and unfortunately long after the fact, uh, how bad that injury really was. So to those of us watching in the back, you're looking at it and you're thinking, oh shit, he's got a stinger. That's what you thought in those days. Guy gets, gets his bell rung and he's, he's hurt for a minute and can't move. And he kind of loses all feeling. We called, we called that a stinger. Just thought Steve had a stinger. He was up afterwards and we're like, you know, let's get him some help because you could tell that once the referees got him up, the way he was holding his hands, his legs uh, were just wobbly and everything. He did not have full control of his body, and something was wrong. And that's those little little nuances that you can tell a guy is hurt and how they hold their legs, how their legs go, and how they hold their hands. And that was a telltale sign with Steve. He was hurt. And this wasn't just a stinger, but in the flow of everything and everything's going on live. And, um, we didn't have communication back from the referee. All you could do is kind of look at the the situation and try and assess it as best you could and say, is he hurt? And the referee's telling me, yeah, he is hurt. It's like, all right, well, let's, let's get out of this thing. But you, you have to trust the competitors in the ring at that point for them to make the right decision. And I think Steve made the, the only decision, you know, that, that he felt was right and did what he had to do. It sucked. They take him to the hospital. They do an x-ray. He doesn't remember them doing an MRI that night. He says, pretty sure they didn't, but the reports that come back are negative. And later he has more tests done in Philadelphia and it shows that he had a bruised spinal cord and he would be dealing with this for years to come. Um, Meltzer would report that Steve went in for an MRI on August the 8th and was told by one of the leading neck specialists in the country that he should retire and that he'd be risking paralysis to continue. The MRI showed what's known in football as a stinger trauma to the C4 and C5 vertebrae. Since he's not going to retire, he is going to get a second opinion from a Philadelphia doctor who is reputed to be 
the leading neck specialist in the U S those who have talked with Austin say he really doesn't feel that bad. Now he has some pain, but he's ready to get back to work. That's the report from the observer. Uh, fast forward a few weeks and Meltzer would write among other injuries, Austin 32 suffered a bruise of the spine along with his fairly significant neck problems that were a combination of both the recent jar and the cumulative effect of the wear and tear of his wrestling career. The injury resulted in continual tingling in his shoulders, similar to if one sleeps wrong on their shoulders and wakes up with their limb asleep. The feeling was that Austin would eventually be able to wrestle. Although the doctor that he first saw in Texas recommended that he retire and warned him that the suffering of another serious injury of the type would put him at risk of paralysis. Due to that, he'll likely have to modify his in-ring style and not take certain bumps that could potentially aggravate the injury. The basic prognosis was that after laying off and doing rehab for the next two months, he'd be re-examined. And at that time, he'd have a better idea of when he could return to the ring. Man, the domino effect of this, especially when he is as hot as he is, the biggest moment in his He's right in the middle of the biggest push of his entire career. And he's getting all of these reports that, hey, man, uh, something similar to this happens again. Not only is your career over, but you might not be able to walk. Devastating news. And being in the wrestling business, you take that advice from professionals who see this every day as a grain of salt because they don't see wrestlers every day. So you take that as, okay. That's for the normal guy walking down the street. I'm an athlete. I'm in good shape. And, and what I can, uh, withstand is different than what you're used to seeing. So a lot of times we have the tendency to self-diagnose. Steve didn't want to hear that. Steve didn't want to hear that his career was going to be over and hell, neither did we, we didn't want Steve's career to be over. So you, you seek other experts that can possibly remedy whatever the hell is going on. You, you try and find someone that will say, um, okay, yeah, you've got this injury. This is how, this is what you'll need to do to rehab that injury so that you can get back to doing what you do. However, because of the injury that Steve had, you're not going to be able to do all aspects of what you do. You're going to have to modify that. And that that was the answer Steve was looking for so that he could continue his career. He was willing to do whatever it took to get to that next step so that he could get back into the ring and do the rehab, do the work, and hope that after he'd done the rehab, he was going to get a clean bill of health and that the doctor would clear him to come back. And I don't think that Steve was ever interested in taking any kind of pile driver or anything that dropped him on his head ever again after experiencing that. And Steve was, you know, Steve was pissed. He, he was not happy because it was during a time that he was as hot as he had ever been. So this was a hiccup in that run that ended up, you know, it's funny in, as you look at Steve Austin's entire career, some of the times this time being, being one of those examples, but with his knees and some other injuries throughout the years, those times that he was off and we used him in different ways, 
would make him even hotter on the other side. And that was one of those kind of amazing enigmas that you would go, well, shit, if he only got hurt again, then no, that's a terrible thing to say. But for whatever reason, his personality, everything that he did, the way that he fought back and we would keep him on TV and keep him alive, he would be hotter on the other side. Talk to me about Owen, you know, allegedly there's, um, their relationship was never the same. And Austin contends that Owen never called him and he felt like that wasn't the right thing to do. And he says they were still cordial to each other, but he didn't find Owen nearly as funny as he used to. Did you ever have a conversation about sort of the after effects of SummerSlam 97 with Steve Austin in regards to his relationship with Owen? Yeah. And Steve, I'll say the word pissed, but I bet you that hurt would be a better adjective to describe what he was feeling. Because that could have been, you know, that could have been not just the end of Steve's career. That could have put Steve in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. The, uh, and I don't know if Owen, you know, didn't try to call him or I, I have no idea what happened on that side. However, from Steve's side of it, Steve has always said that he didn't reach out to him. And that was something that affected Steve that it's like, Hey man, I gave you my body. I trusted you in the ring to take care of me in the ring and in Austin's mind. And I think in any other professional's mind, he betrayed that trust. It was an accident. However, I I do think that if the shoe were on the other foot, um, I think Steve, Steve would have been there to make sure that the guy was all right, whoever it was. And, and I know if it was me, I think I would have, um, been there to do whatever I could to make sure that they were okay. You know, it's, it's little things. Brock Lesnar kicked a wall in my face, literally broke my face, uh, shattered my orbital, broke my nose in three places, uh, collapsed my sinuses. And that we were in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and I flew home. When I arrived home, the next day or the day after when I got back from the doctor, there was the biggest, uh, box of lobsters and crab and shrimp and all this stuff from a place that, that Brock and I had found in Seattle, uh, with a note, you know, here's looking at you and, and see you later with a, with an eye drawn on it and all this stuff. And Brock, you know, constantly called to make sure I was okay. So that's common courtesy to me. And again, I, I, Owen coming from a wrestling family, I don't know what the motivation would have been for him not to. I'm sure that he had a good one. I I don't know. I I really don't know. But if, if he didn't, then shame on him. And at the time, Steve may not have wanted to hear it, but I'm sure that Steve would remember if, if somebody reached out to him and, and was there, I do. I mean, like just my little thing with, with Brock Lesnar, it was, I will never forget that gesture 
and how concerned Brock was for me after the fact. Let's, uh, let's remind everybody that as a result of this injury, Austin has to forfeit both the intercontinental and the tag titles. Let's talk about in your house ground zero. There's supposed to be a ceremony here where dude love and Austin are going to give up the tag titles to Sergeant slaughter. Of course, dude gives his up, but Austin comes out to a huge pop and starts running down Jr. Vince McMahon and Sergeant slaughter throws his belt down. And he's calling Jim Ross a fat ass. And when Ross praises him, Austin gives him the stunner, which is the first time we see something like that, a big deal. And the crowd chants slaughter sucks and they're helping Ross out. And, um, I mean, this is stealing the show and he's not even really wrestling a match. Uh, later in the night, there's a tournament for the finals of the tag team titles. And the headbangers beat Owen and Bulldog when Bret Hart, uh, I'm sorry, Owen is putting Mosh in the uh, sharpshooter and Austin runs in and gives uh, a stunner. And then Mosh scores the pin and wins the titles. You know, this is uh, clearly done to keep him in the limelight and keep him on TV and keep him hot while he can't wrestle. But if he's got a neck injury and he's passing out stunners, I mean, that requires you to fall on your ass and put more pressure on your spine. Does it not? It's going to put pressure on your tailbone, but it's going to put pressure on your spine in a different way. And that impact Steve was fine with. And for whatever reason, I believe the doctors were fine with it's not coming down on top of his head. It's not impacting the, the spine and the skull and all that. So it's, it's a different bump. Uh, it's going to fuck up your tailbone after a while. You know, it's going to, it's going to mess up your hips and, and things of that nature and lower back, but I don't know that it had a whole lot of effect on his neck and where all that was. So this was another example of Steve not being able to work in the ring and being that defiant anti-authority figure that people loved. And he just kept getting hotter and hotter. Speaking of hotter and hotter, let's talk about September 22nd, 1997. It's the first raw ever from Madison square garden. And during the Owen Hart, Brian Pillman intercontinental title tournament match, Austin would attack Owens and the cops come to the ring to arrest Austin and McMahon jumps out of his chair and gives a speech about how, um, everyone cares about Steve and they just don't want to see him wind up in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And Austin acts like he understands that they're really just looking out for his best interest. And then he gives McMahon a huge stunner to a giant pop and the police handcuff Steve Austin and drag him out. And, uh, this is a huge, huge moment because it's the first time we've seen anybody, you know, do something like this with Vince pretty historic night, but probably the worst stunner in history. What do you remember? <laughs> oh gosh. Um it was the worst stunner in history. Um I don't know that Vince Vince wanted to take it differently so that it looked like he didn't know what the hell, you know, you know what I mean? It's like the wrestlers take it a certain way and Vince didn't want it to look like he was some seasoned professional bump taker, which he was not. So he wanted to take it 
as realistically as he could, but I, I think that resulted in uh, being one of the most unrealistic stunners of all time. However, man, it was the garden. It was Austin on fire. No one had ever really touched Vince before. Now, at the time, people perceived Vince as an on-air talent, not as the owner of the company. But in New York, they had seen Vince their entire lives. You know, he'd been the on-air commentator there for Capital Wrestling, Championship Wrestling, for so long that, you know, he was one of them. They knew that he was he was New York. That was a huge fucking deal. And it was the first time, you know, Austin's escorted out with cops and all that shit. And so many of those shots from that night are iconic as well. That You go back and you look at what made Stone Cold Steve Austin the special attraction that he was. The next week on Raw... Uh, Austin is confronted by McMahon who says you've got three choices by next week, either get a doctor's release, sign a waiver, absolving the WWF of any liability in case you are injured further or be fired. So they're going to keep it going. I want to mention here, we've touched on this before in our Brian Pillman episode, Brian passes away in early October. What we haven't talked a lot about is how that affected Steve. He's in the middle of the biggest push of his career. And now his best friend is found dead in a hotel room, right in the middle of it. What impact did this have on Steve? Did you have a conversation with him about him losing his best friend here? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's hard. It was, I, I, I don't want to say it was expected. It wasn't expected, but there were, there were signs that Brian was having an issue. We, we drug tested him. We, we, we tested him right before he passed and he passed with flying colors. Um, but I think Brian was in a depression and I think, I don't know. You, you always, as a human being, you always want to think that if you had been there and you could have done something more to prevent it. And I think that's kind of how Steve might've felt. He was sad because it's one of his contemporaries. That's that wasn't just contemporary. That was his friend. Uh, he was friends with Brian. He was friends with Brian's family. And it was, that was a hard pill to swallow. It was, it was tough for him to come to grips with that. Brian was well-liked pretty much by everybody, but he did have a special bond with Steve that it hurt him, and, and that one probably stuck with Steve for a while. Meltzer reported at the beginning of November that Austin returned to the ring doing short matches against Hunter Hearst Helmsley in Massachusetts and Pennsylvania. And he would write, he scheduled to wrestle from this point forward, including the survivor series match, and was also supposed to undergo another neck evaluation in the coming week. The bruised spinal cord he suffered from the accident in the Owen Hart match is healed, but he still has pretty serious neck problems, which date back to his days playing college football. And the company wants him to modify his in ring style. In particular, he'll be forced to stay away from any kind of bumps on the neck. And there's a good chance 
that he'll never be quite the same performer that he was. You remember having conversations with Steve? Was it just about, let's just get back in there. Let's just keep it going. Or was he one of those guys who was like, man, if I can't do it, like I used to, did that cross his mind? Did you have conversations about that? I think the ego of Steve Austin is one that he wanted to be the stone cold Steve Austin that got over. He wanted to have the best match on the card. He wanted people to remember him for being, you know, the best in all aspects of the game. I do remember giving Steve Austin the same, <laughs> the same advice and the same story that I have said to Shawn Michaels that I have said to the undertaker. Um, and a few others that I would use the crusher in Milwaukee as an example, you know, crusher was up in age and crusher would be 60 years old, but he would go out there and he would punch and kick and do a few things and let guys bump and fly all around him and was popular forever doing very little. I said, Steve, all you got to do is just reorganize what it is you do in the ring reinvent yourself. You don't have to do all that shit anymore. You're over, go out and do what you can do and do it better than anybody else. And you'll be fine. Um, you know, Shawn Michaels has in his head, if he's not going to be the Shawn Michaels, people remember in 1990, then he doesn't want to do it. You know, half of Shawn Michaels, a quarter of Shawn Michaels is better than, you know, the best of a lot of the, what is out there. And I'd say the same thing to Steve, because what he did, that personality shone through. And he was able to make up for what you, you didn't even miss it. You didn't miss that Steve wasn't doing a lot of the same shit that he did before. And I think in his head, he just needed time to figure that out, get in the ring and feel it. And the again, man, that audience loved him even more because they were seeing him kick people's asses. Let's get to survivor series 97. Of course it's famous for the Montreal screw job, but it's also Austin's first match back on TV. He's challenging Owen Hart for the intercontinental title. He's going to get the win in a very short match, four minutes and four seconds. Uh, not quite the match that a lot of people would hope for but you probably just want to get the title back on him and get through the match. What do you remember about their match at survivor series? Short and sweet. And, and that was exactly the order. It was get the hell out there and don't do anything. It was the time for Steve to go and kick Owen's ass for what he did to him. And it was Steve's triumphant return and get that win back and, and move on. Weren't looking for a great match. And just wanted to get Austin's heat back, if you will. Meltzer would write in December, Steve Austin got reports back from two neck specialists last week. Dr. Joseph Torg viewed a tape of his match from Madison Square Garden and how he protected himself working his new style and said as long as he didn't take any bumps on his neck, he'd probably be okay to wrestle with no significant risk of paralysis. But a second doctor, second opinion, examined his neck and said with the wrong bump, permanent paralysis is still a possibility. And Meltzer would write that the second doctor's opinion kind of freaked Austin out, even though he wrestled all week, usually being in short matches, a couple minutes, but for the most part, the injury suffered in the Owen Hart mishap was healed, but all this residual neck damage 
has just accumulated to a dangerous spot for him. What were some of the things you remember about Steve trying to change his in-ring style a little bit to protect himself? Well, Steve was very protective of bumps in particular. He was very protective of anybody picking him up and throwing him down, just making sure that he was going to land flat. Steve wanted to be in control of that, and rightfully so, because he had just come off of this situation. And when a doctor says the wrong bump, that's with anybody at any time. If you've got a the strongest, healthiest neck and, and back in the world, the wrong bump's going to paralyze you for the rest of your life. Sure. Now, for someone who has already felt, holy shit, you know, Steve was fucking paralyzed in the ring for maybe a minute or so uh, in the original match with Owen. So this wasn't a scare thing to Steve. This was a let's go back in time and revisit what you went through, Steve. Let's go back and revisit that minute that you spent on the apron looking up at the lights, wondering, fuck, am I ever going to walk again? Man, that's real shit that will fuck with your head. I don't care who you are. So Steve now is trying to figure out, okay, he's heard this and he knows it because he's felt it. Revamp his style, redo what he does in the ring, and be in control of his body and, and be in control of who has his body and who he's going to trust in the ring. So those were the that was kind of shit that was going through Steve's head where rightfully so he was concerned because he didn't want to be a quadriplegic and he didn't want to end up in a wheelchair. I haven't really talked about this a lot, but I've always wanted to talk about the Owen 316 shirt. Of course, the most famous shirt in wrestling at this point is Austin 316. And of course, Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass. Well, Owen would strut around on TV wearing an Owen 316 shirt. And on the back, it says, I just broke your neck. So you've already got sort of a strained relationship with Owen and Steve. And now it's storyline, but still he's making money on a shirt, sort of mocking his gimmick and bragging about the fact that he broke his neck any real heat over that shirt to the best of your recollection to the best of my recollection uh, recollection no but it was capitalizing on a real life situation now had steve been out of the business never would have done that in a million years however the fact that steve was cleared to come back and that steve you know was not paralyzed it was, okay, this is a business, and this is one way to capitalize on it and get to that return match and make it mean even more. So uh, as far as I know, I don't know there's any heat from Steve for that shirt one way or another. But had things gone the other way, never would have done that. It's a modern I broke Wahoo's leg, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about uh, In Your House uh, DX, the Degeneration X pay-per-view it's december 7th 1997 in springfield mass and austin is going to pin rocky malvia in about five minutes to retain the ic title he's got the biggest reaction on the show he comes out driving a truck which is kind of fun um lots of interference here farouk comma the nation of domination involved but it's really the first time we see austin and rocky working in a pay-per-view when did you guys know Hey man, 
These guys have something. Well, probably, probably right about this time because you don't really know until you see them in the ring and you can listen to the audience reaction as to, are they buying this? And they were rock was hot. So it was right about this time that we started going, Jesus, man, we got something here in, in the rock and the whole nation, so on and so forth. I believe that the original, original, original was to do something with Stephen Farouk, but rock man was kind of that groundswell coming up with Steve. That is like, I mean, with a uh, rock that was like, eh, let's slide rock in here and see how he does. So this was, this was it. This was kind of the first time that they really worked together in a major program on a major stage that made you think, okay, um, we're going with rock and we'll go a different direction with, with Ron Simmons, Farouk. Is it true that the original idea here was Austin was supposed to drop the intercontinental title, but Austin didn't want to do it. No. Okay. And I don't even think, and again, I don't even think that, uh, rock was the original opponent. <laughs> he was originally supposed to be Farouk and then rock because of the way he was getting over, but no, not to my knowledge. I don't know if somebody might've said that at one point, but no. The next night on raw Jr. introduces McMahon as the owner of the WWF, which is one of the first times it's been acknowledged on TV like this. And McMahon starts talking about Austin and the fact that he had gotten away with a lot, including attacking announcers and officials and yours truly fans pop for this. And McMahon said the night before Austin went too far by endangering the lives of the fans when he drove his truck into the arena and down to the ring. And, uh, he said, whether or not Austin knocking out the referee the night before was an accident, he was demanding that Austin defend the intercontinental title against Rocky Maivia live tonight here on raw. And then Austin comes out and McMahon tells Austin he's the boss. And Austin says he doesn't care. And McMahon says he's going to respect the consequences of not doing what he tells him and tells him to watch his language. And of course, Austin says he's going backstage, going to pop a top on a beer. I need a hot dog. But really, it's the first confrontation like this between Austin and McMahon. And Vince is sort of playing the Mr. McMahon character. That's a handful of months later, going to really turn the tide for the company. Did you guys at this point know, hey, man, this is the real story. McMahon, Austin. When did you know? Did you know here or was it before this? Really, it was after this. And again, you know, the Mr. McMahon character, that was something that really evolved. The Vince fought. Vince fought against. It was like, God damn it, I don't want to be, um, and I want to be a character. Not going to do that. He, he wasn't fond of it. As it grew, yeah, and that Mr. McMahon character was the hottest heel that we had. Then it was like, okay, well, Mr. McMahon would do this. But here it was, here's another piece of the story. This is another chapter in the story to get Steve Austin over. And if it's presented as the boss, but it's also the first time that you sit there and go, not, not in the garden when he was the announcer wearing the black and red raw stuff, 
But here, that's why we announced Vince as the owner of the company. First time. And I don't know that he was crazy about that. But this was the first time, and this was the the first time that you got that feel of, fuck, is that character? You could get some mileage out of it. But Vince, no. He, he still didn't want to do it, and he didn't want, sure as hell didn't want to do it full-time as a on-air character. This episode of Raw, the reason I asked that about the pay-per-view was Rock supposed to win is on this same episode, Austin would forfeit the intercontinental title to the rock and stun him. And he does so because he says he's going after the world title. Does it devalue the intercontinental title for it to change hands here where he just forfeits it and why not have him just drop it the night before to, to rock at the pay-per-view because Vince felt that that would have having him lose the title, that that would have hurt the stone cold character. The stone cold character would say, fuck you. And he didn't, Vince didn't feel it devalued the intercontinental championship. I think it kind of did. If a championship's not important to everybody, then the championship's not important. Um, the feeling behind it was stone cold would tell you, go fuck yourself. And he wants the biggest and the best for stone cold to do it. It would be okay. And he felt that by having someone beat Steve, for the title would devalue Steve because now Steve's got to go back and Steve has to go after, uh, whoever beat him for the title for their continental title. Steve wanted bigger and better things. Just again, it was a philosophical point and that's, that's what we ended up with where Steve just said, you know what? Fuck this. Uh, I'm gone. I got bigger fish to fry and moved on. Well, he moves on to the Royal rumble and, um, that's in 1998. And of course, Mike Tyson's there. And the next night, everything changes. But that's going to bring us to a close here on today's episode of Something to Wrestle, all about Steve Austin in 1997, where he really, really leveled up his career. I mean, he starts the year winning the Royal Rumble and finishes the year in the middle of uh, what's going to be the biggest feud, maybe in the history of wrestling, certainly the one that turns the tide for the company. Steve Austin and Mr. McMahon and forfeiting the intercontinental title because he's going after the world title. And the next month, of course, whoo, Mike Tyson would change everything. What a year, Steve Austin, 1997, one of the most important years in company history. Fair to say. Absolutely. And it was a turning point in, I think when you look at wrestling as a whole this was that was the year of the turning point where the tides began to change well and we appreciate you guys not changing and sticking with us here on something to wrestle we've got some big shows coming your way including wrestlemania 20 michael ps hayes and much much more uh, stay tuned to something to wrestle here fridays at noon and don't forget to pick up your tickets to come see us tomorrow in crown point indiana can't believe that's a thing, but it is. And you get uh, a great wrestling show, uh, plus something to wrestle live. And then right before the pay-per-view in Cleveland, uh, you can come see us there as well. BrucePritchard.com has your tickets and on sale right now is the Saturday before WrestleMania with Bruce and I, and the Monday after WrestleMania, right after the biggest raw of the year, a late night evening show with good old JR and Bruce Pritchard and myself tickets are on sale now. And bruce and don't forget bruce is coming to see you australia 
can't believe you're really doing that. Uh, he's gonna- uh, dude, I, I'm, it's going to take me a day to get there. I get a day to recoup. And then March 22nd, Sydney, the 23rd, Melbourne, and the 24th in Brisbane, Australia. I'm coming, and I can't wait. Pick up your tickets right now, BrucePritchard.com. If you haven't already, check us out on Twitter at Pritchard Show. He is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey Hands Conrad, and we are at Oh, time. shit, Conrad. Yeah. New York is sold out. As we are on the air, New York is sold out. Hang on now. We got two shows in New York. Okay. You mean, you mean uh, the so Saturday, Grammar right? Sold out. Okay. All right. So you missed your chance to go see us uh, the Saturday before WrestleMania, but tickets are on sale now or right after Monday Night Raw. Good old JR and Bruce Pritchard. Get your tickets now at BrucePritchard.com. Can I wrap up the show now or do you just want to say Shaka Khan or how are we wrapping it up here? Wrap it up. I, I kind of did, and then you, you did a run in. Well, I just got a little notice that came across my screen. Why, why don't you just yell Shaka Khan and we'll get out of here? Well, Shaka Khan! John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.